This episode of The Mirror is proudly supported by Mecca Empower, a social change movement championing equality and opportunity for women and girls. My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Julia Gillard's misogyny speech. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. The moment Australia's first female Prime Minister, the only female Prime Minister we've had, stood up and said enough. I will not. Not now. Not ever. During that 15-minute speech, her fury at the former opposition leader, Tony Abbott, was visceral. Misogyny. Sexism every day from this leader of the opposition. But this speech was in response to more than just one man. There's all this stuff about her wardrobe and her appearance. The language was a whore in a whorehouse. She'd be placed in a chaff bag and thrown out to sea. And tell her to swim home. Ditch the witch. Chicken thick thighs. And fat ass. Brown spit. July. Liar, liar, pants on fire. When Gillard said enough that day, it wasn't just Abbott she put on notice. On your fashion sense, your marital status, uh, your earlobes. It was all of us. what misogyny looks like in modern Australia. From the Daily Oz, I'm Billy Fitzsimons. This is The Mirror. Let's start at the beginning. The day Australia got its first female Prime Minister. That day is seared on my memory for, for a couple of reasons. Phil Curry is a long-time journalist in the press gallery, which is where journalists work in Parliament House. Today, he's the political editor at the Australian Financial Review. But on the 23rd of June 2010, he worked for the Sydney Morning Herald. It was very, very quiet, eerily quiet around the building. At this point, Kevin Rudd was Prime Minister. But nearly three years on from a landslide victory... Support for Labor was dwindling. There had been whispers in the corridors, rumours that a challenge to Rudd was coming from within the party. In other words, a leadership spill was brewing. Actually, it's too quiet. Something is going on. And it wasn't until about six o'clock at night that I had completely confirmed what was happening, um, that a delegation had gone to see Julia Gillard that day and urged her to run, and she decided to do it. Gillard didn't become Prime Minister in the usual way. There was no election, no public voting. Then Deputy Prime Minister, she went to Rudd and told him she had lost confidence in the government he was leading. The ABC broke news at about 7 o'clock at night. In breaking news tonight, there are leadership rumblings within the Rudd government. And then all hell broke loose. Julia Gillard will challenge Kevin Rudd to become the first female Prime Minister of Australia. He will face his judgment day. Some are saying it'll be his execution. The next morning, Rudd stepped down as Labor leader and Julia Gillard became Prime Minister. The next Labor Prime Minister and the first female Prime Minister of this country elected unopposed is Julia Gillard. The way things happened and the way they happened so fast, I think, gave everyone a sense of whiplash and a sense of shock. Jamila Rizvi was a staffer in the Rudd and Gillard governments. Australians didn't know you could fall asleep the night before and say you missed the ABC News and wake up the next morning and there was a new Prime Minister and there hadn't been an election. 
Rizvi noticed the gendered language start immediately. Even the positive gendered language, you know, the, the language that really sort of reflected on the on the history of the day began the next morning in the newspapers. Um, I'm laughing because like on the wall next to me, there's a framed front page of the Herald Sun that says the boss. And it says at the top, a new era for Australia. You know, at the time, it wasn't like, you know, evil woman trounces, you know, innocent man. It was, you know, Australia gets its first female prime minister. And there was a great deal of sort of excitement and uh, expectation around that. There is, of course, a historic aspect to this Prime Minister, as she is Australia's first woman to attain the office. What do you think of Julia Gillard? But what started as a positive conversation about a woman breaking barriers to become Australia's first female Prime Minister quickly turned. The narrative of Gillard as and I'm using air quotes here, the, the backstabber persisted for quite some time. That kind of Lady Macbeth, woman in the night, you can't trust the chicks kind of narrative really dialed up the frenzy in the press around the fact that she'd toppled one of her own. So what do we know about Julia Gillard, the woman at the centre of this political firestorm? Yeah, well, we got a few text messages last night uh, uh, suggesting that Gillard has got blood on her hands. Uh, the kind of... Uh, knock on the door at midnight, assassination style, which is... Not since uh, Brutus stabbed Julius Caesar have we seen such an act of uh, betrayal. And you could tell right there and then it wasn't going to be easy for Julia Gillard. Australia was forced to reckon with a type of Prime Minister we hadn't experienced before. Not only was she the first woman to lead the nation, but she was the first Prime Minister who had never been married. The day after Julia Gillard became the Prime Minister, I bumped into one of the plotters, one of the one of the factional heavyweights. That's a Labor Party person who supported Gillard in becoming the leader. And I said, where's she going to live? And he said, oh, in the lodge. And I said, what, with her boyfriend? And he said, yeah. I said, mate, you know, this is a conservative country. You know, ethnic communities, religious communities, you know. I said, don't you think you might have taken a few months to get people used to this notion before you had a single woman shacked up with a boyfriend in the lodge? Gillard's partner is Tim Matheson, a hairdresser. They have no children. I don't have a problem with it. A lot of people don't, but a lot of people will, and they did. While questions about Gillard's personal life spread, her political life was also under the microscope. Hello. Less than a month after taking over the leadership, Gillard called an election. And today I seek a mandate from the Australian people to move Australia forward. We wanted her to win so badly. I remember going into that campaign feeling really positive. Gillard had taken over the leadership and yes, there was some criticism about how it happened, but people were excited. She had appealed to voters, female, male, old and young. And there was a sense of momentum. I thought we were going to romp it in. I really did. I thought Labor was going to win uh, by a mile. Thank you. And then by sort of two weeks, three weeks into the campaign, I started to get really concerned. Uh, appalling. It was the worst campaign. I think it was a shocker. And because she wasn't just facing Tony Abbott, she was facing Kevin Rudd as well. The assumption was that Rudd would resign from Parliament after the spill. But he didn't. According to Curry, his mission was to destroy her. 
I always like to say Gillard faced the two most rapacious people in Australian politics since Federation. She had Tony Abbott on one side and Kevin Rudd on the other. And I, and I thought at the time, goodness, this is, you know, this could be fraught. Leaks from their own side were causing the government strife. There's a strong and troublesome theme starting to emerge here for the Gillard campaign. Many were pointing to Rudd as the source. It's the coward's way. No, it's the snake's way. But it wasn't just Rudd causing problems here. Gillard was facing criticism that her campaign felt too stage-managed. With opinion polls now pointing to a nail-bitingly close election race... She decided to reset and say, from here on in, I'll be more me. She did the Real Julia interview. Well, it's really uh, more of the Real Julia Gillard. Which essentially meant we've been seeing a fake Julia. Prompting the man who's after her job to question which Gillard we've been shown until now. The campaign was proving difficult, but there was more than just politics at play here. Because Gillard wasn't dealing with the standard election coverage, well, at least not the standard coverage her male predecessors had received, which focused on their policies and ideas, not their partners and clothes. I recall cartoons in newspapers depicting her as a you know, the language was a whore in a whorehouse, right, or a madam in a whorehouse. Kate Legg wrote a story in The Australian about her earlobes and her, and her, and her terrible wardrobe. Are you at all concerned at uh, the amount of attention that's being paid in this campaign on your fashion sense, your marital status, uh, your earlobes? Uh, the novelty of a female Prime yeah. Minister is creating endless fascination. Would your partner move into the lodge, for example? Oh, yes, Tim and I live together. Yes. So, yes, wherever I live, he'll live. Would you be happy to be the first de facto couple living in the lodge or are we to expect a prime ministerial wedding? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Do you want a bridesmaid? <laughs> <laughs> you know, a best man. We could... Uh, look, uh, I, I, I make... Uh, well, uh, num- num- number one... I bumped into Julia one day and I said, why do you call this stuff out? And she said, I'm not going to play the gender card, you know, and, and because back then it was seen as a weakness. You know, it was seen as a weakness to play the gender card. On the 21st of August 2010, the election finally arrived. Election night was incredibly strange. Sean Kelly was an advisor to Gillard. Normally on election night, there would be elation from victory or there would be sadness and desolation in defeat but that night it was it was certainly sad it was a kind of odd empty hollow sadness there was no result that night labor and the coalition were tied meaning there was a hung parliament obviously this is too close to call it was funereal but it was as though you were waiting for someone to die they hadn't died quite yet so we didn't know we didn't know that night what the result would be. When there's a hung parliament, it means the major parties enter a phase of negotiation. So one of the major parties will need to convince the minor parties and the independents to form some sort of formal agreement with them so that they can form government. This can take days and sometimes even weeks. They returned to Canberra knowing the battle was far from over. It could be a long, slow process. Julia Gillard and Tony Abbott dashed to the national capital to start wooing the independents. And then there followed two weeks of uncertainty, this tug of war as Labor and Liberal fought to persuade the independents that they should vote with one side or the other. 
After weeks of negotiation, Gillard managed to form a minority government. Labor is prepared to deliver stable, effective and secure government for the next three years. Labor had formed government partly with the support of the Greens. But in making that deal, Gillard agreed to implement a carbon pricing scheme. Now, we're not going to get into the detail of that policy, but it's important to understand how it was perceived. Julia Gillard made a very clear commitment on the eve of that 2010 election. Uh, There will be no carbon tax. uh, Saying that there would be no carbon tax under a government she led. So when she made her deal with the Greens, it was seen by many as her breaking an election promise. For plenty of Australians, the carbon tax is harder to swallow than the pollution it's designed to reduce. They're quite literally choking on the idea. And that idea that she had broken a promise at the election was turned into a devastating weapon against her. Uh, There was an absolutely poisonous campaign run not just against the policy, but against Julia Gillard as a person. Uh, And it harked back to that sense of betrayal and, and again, I think to that sense of the archetype of the deceptive, duplicitous woman that has existed throughout history. She was called Julia, I think it was coined by the shock jock Alan Jones. The Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, is in the studio in Canberra. Prime Minister, good morning. Good morning, Alan. Do you understand, Julia, that you are the issue today because there are people now saying your name is not Julia, but Julia. And they are saying that we've got a liar running the country. Just listen to Brad here, who rang this morning. Julia, the lines were on fire, believe me, about this. And this is what Brad said. I felt sick in the stomach. I feel like I could cry. How much of this raping have we got to tolerate from this government? There were huge rallies held. Those rallies were not just poisonous. They were incredibly misogynistic. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, we've been lied to. And Julia is a rotten liar. Free cheese for Tony Abbott stood up at those rallies in front of Parliament House. Prime Ministers are entitled to change their mind. But a Prime Minister is not entitled to change her mind on something as important as this without going back to the people and seeking a mandate. In front of signs, with signs around him, saying, ditch the witch and Bob Brown's bitch. Senator Bob Brown was the leader of the Greens. These are horrible, repellent terms that are being used about a Prime Minister, about a female Prime Minister, about the first female Prime Minister of this country. There was a sort of a rolling pressure and darkness. Emma Webster was in her early 20s when she entered Parliament in 2012 as a staffer in Julia Gillard's office. And it gave her this rare insight into what Gillard was facing. It did really take a toll on the mood in the office. There was a cartoonist who, whenever he he drew images of Gillard, they were quite pornographic and he would always draw her with with big dildos attached to her. And it was like he couldn't possibly grasp in his own mind that a prime minister could govern and not have male genitalia. In August 2012, the head of an agriculture company made a speech. He was speaking about an abattoir designed to slaughter, quote, non-productive old cows. 
and he said something like, Julia Gillard's got to watch out. And this wasn't a one-off. A few years prior, a parliamentary colleague described her as deliberately barren and said that she couldn't possibly be able to govern over Australians or Australian families because what would she know about families? She hasn't had kids. The sexist attacks on Gillard were becoming more personal. On the 8th of September 2012, Gillard's father died. Three weeks later, a journalist leaked this secret recording of Alan Jones speaking at the Sydney University Liberal Club. And they are lying, lying, like every person in the caucus of the Labor Party knows that Julia Gillard's a liar. Everybody. I'll come to that in a moment. He said Gillard's father had died of shame. And at the same function that Alan Jones said that, he signed a jacket that was made of chaff bags. Basically a woven durable bag. Which were then going to be auctioned at a Liberal fundraiser. And that was a reference to his repeated statements a year before that the Prime Minister should be placed in a chaff bag and thrown out to sea. Put her in the same chaff bag as Julia Gillard and throw them both out to sea. At this point, Gillard was still hesitant to play the so-called gender card. I know Gillard made a deliberate choice at the start of her prime ministership and she thought the sort of sexist quips would would melt away and people would sort of stand up and call it out, but it was becoming increasingly obvious that that wasn't happening. In October 2012, Gillard's government was struggling. They were barely hanging on to power. And then something happened that took them right to the precipice of losing control. The year before, they had made a strange decision. It's the government's responsibility to choose who the Speaker of the House of Representatives will be. That's an MP who's in charge of maintaining order on the parliamentary floor. Normally, governments choose someone from their own party to take this important role. But because the Speaker doesn't typically vote on legislation and the Gillard government needed every vote they could get, they chose to put someone from outside their party in the Speaker's seat. Gone to this rebel Liberal called Peter Slipper. To become Speaker, Slipper left the Liberal Party and became an independent. So by making Peter Slipper the Speaker, there was a Labor guy who went onto the floor and became another vote. Now, once Peter Slipper became speaker, he employed a man named James Ashby. Soon after Ashby was employed, he came forward with sexual harassment allegations against Peter Slipper. Provocative new details have emerged in the sexual harassment case against the parliamentary speaker, Peter Slipper. In his solicitors... He had text messages, which would go on to be evidence in a court case. I've got the text messages here if you want me to read them out, but they are pretty, like, they're pretty awful. The text messages crudely reference vaginas. Slipper goes, funny how we say that a person is a c*** when many guys like c***, to which Ashby said, not I, and then Slipper replied, they look like a muscle removed from its shell. Look at a bottle of muscle meat. Salty c*** in brine. So just disgusting, anti-woman, like totally inexcusable. Okay, let's unpack where we are. Slipper was a coalition man for decades, so he was from the opposition. But it was Gillard who put him in the position of Speaker. So the opposition had leverage for an attack. On the morning of the 9th of October 2012, Julia Gillard didn't know it yet. 
but she would soon make the most famous speech of her political career. Part of my job was to prep the Prime Minister for question time, to anticipate what questions might come in to uh, help plan answers. It seemed inevitable that the questions from Tony Abbott and the opposition would all be about Peter Slipper. And there was a sense that Tony Abbott was going to come at her in the Parliament on this issue. And speaking to Julie Gillard that day, she was incredibly riled up. She was angry at the idea that Tony Abbott, who had a record of horribly sexist comments behind him, might try to turn the issue of sexism to his favour against the first female Prime Minister of the country, and not just the first female Prime Minister, but the first female Prime Minister who had dealt with so much sexism directed at her, and some of it directed by Tony Abbott. And I think the idea that a man with those types of views, who had deliberately used sexism as a political weapon, would now turn to that and try to use it as a weapon himself was beyond the pale for Julia Gillard. Gillard went to the House of Representatives prepared to defend her government. She was preparing to go into a question time where she thought every question was going to be about Peter Slipper. But that's not what happened. Question time got suspended. Abbott put forward a motion to remove Slipper from the role of Speaker. It's clear that this Speaker is no longer a fit and proper person to uphold the dignity of the Parliament. So the Parliament had to go to a debate. Because what this Prime Minister has done is shame this Parliament. And should she rise in this place now to try to defend the Speaker, to try to say that she retains confidence in this Speaker, she will shame this Parliament again. It was either the first time or one of the first times she had been back in Parliament since her father had passed away and since those awful remarks from Alan Jones about her father dying of shame. And... Abbott, in his contribution to the motion, said, this government is dying of shame. And every day the Prime Minister stands in this parliament to defend this speaker will be another day of shame for this parliament, another day of shame for a government which should already have died of shame. So she had a couple of minutes while Abbott made a contribution where she basically scribbled out a couple of dot points and she finally had a, an opportunity to, to fire back. I call the Prime Minister. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker, and I rise to oppose the motion moved by the Leader of the Opposition. And in so doing, I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the Government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. Not now, not ever. The Leader of the Opposition says that people who hold sexist views and who are misogynists are not appropriate for high office. Well, I hope the Leader of the Opposition has got a piece of paper and he is writing out his resignation. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. That's what he needs. Can I 
indicate to the Leader of the Opposition the government is not dying of shame. My father did not die of shame. What the Leader of the Opposition should be ashamed of is his performance in this parliament and the sexism he brings with it. One of the best parts of the speech is when she just freestyles and looks over at Abbott looking at his watch and says that... Now looking at his watch because apparently a woman's spoken too long. I've had him yell at me to shut up in the past. But I will take the remaining... I will take the remaining seconds of my speaking time. And she could see the clock ticking down and she timed it perfectly to sort of say... And the Leader of the Opposition should think seriously about the role of women in public life and in Australian society because we are entitled to a better standard than this. And then, boom, time finishes. thought it was an incredible speech, but I don't think anyone knew what was going to happen next. Next week on The Mirror. It just went everywhere. The speech was a viral international hit. I mean, I've got a tea towel. They sell merchandise with that speech on it now. But was it enough to change how Gillard was treated? There was even more misogyny after the misogyny speech. Or to save her government. You were talking about a government on the brink of collapse. The Mirror is researched by Lucy Tassel, produced and edited by Nina Copel. I'm Billy Fitzsimons, and if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe, leave a rating, and send it to a friend. Episode two is dropping next week. See you then. This episode of The Mirror was brought to you by Mecca Empower a collection of individuals and organisations working to advance equality and opportunity for women and girls. Empower is partnering with many remarkable organisations working to educate, elevate and empower women and girls. From First Australians Capital, amplifying the success of First Nations women-led businesses, to the Skyline Education Foundation, working to support high-ability girls who face social and economic barriers in Victoria, Empower is here to make a difference. Find out more at empower.mecca.com.au.